Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Crystal Fault, the editor of The Toolkit. My guests today are Emily V. Gordon and Camille Nagiani, co-writers and executive producers of The Big Sick, uh, which stars Camille and Zoe Kazan playing Emily, in a story about their unusual courtship. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having us. That was a good succinct... People always get confused of how they're going to, like... Emily's not in the movie, but she wrote the movie. You said it very succinctly. Very easy to do. You know, right off the bat, since this... You guys are both creative people. You were creative people before this. Was it always inevitable that this profound kind of story in your life was something that you guys were going to do something with? Or is that... Is this a, I mean, because it was like 10 years, right? <laughs> yeah. 10, 10 years ago? Yes. And I think inevitable is a good way to put it. I think I was not uh, very... Uh, I was a little more close to the idea than Camille was. I think I knew of something. I would do something with it. That it would come out in some regard... And it already kind of has. You wanted to do like an art installation about it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't sure if a movie was the thing, but I knew it was going to... It's obviously affected us so much that it would have to be something we would do. But Kumail was more sure that it was... You were going to do a daguerreotype. How do you say that? A daguerreotype? Uh, A dance. An interpretive dance. Um, Yeah. I mean, I... Before Emily did, I became... I don't know why, but pretty sure that we were going to make this into a movie. And at that point... It was before we talked to Judd Apatow or anything, and I was like, if we have to, we'll do it for like $50,000 or whatever, you know, we just... I would, I, like, I probably would be playing myself in that version of the movie. <laughs> no, 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 we'd have auditions. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, so yeah, it, it did feel inevitable, and it was like, you know, even when we were writing with Judd, Emily was like, well, what if he doesn't want to make it? And I was like, I think if, if he doesn't want to make it, I think he would still let us go and make oh, it yeah. on our own. Yeah. And so I was always pretty sure like we'd make some version of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is that, I mean, I want to get into the actual writing of it, but I mean, is this something where, I mean, considering your families are such a big part of this, is this, some, is this, a dis- or is this discussion been had so many times, but the, that the idea that you would do something creative with it it's like the, the, that feeling like clean about it, the fact that we're going to do this. Like, yeah. is that something that is an important part of this? Of, I like think it ask, definitely was. Asking our parents? Not yeah, even the, asking their permission as much as like just letting them know. And being uncomfortable with them, things like that. Yeah. I, I think we didn't approach our families until we got funding because nothing's ever real in this town, this town meaning LA, which we're not currently in. Yeah. This nothing's town, ever. Man. <laughs> I mean, nothing's ever real until it's real. You taught me this, and even even when it's real, it's sometimes not real. Mm-hmm. So we waited until it was an absolute. This was going to happen to kind the, of talk the to flight our to Sundance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I am definitely more of a let's go ahead and rip this bandaid off now kind of person, and Kumail's more of a let's wait. And so we like. He's seen the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to not as much get their permission as as much as just kind of let them know this was happening and have them accept it. Because uh, there was no world that they were going to be like, I think maybe if my parents... I don't think they would have. Never. But I do feel like if my parents had said... I think I sort of was like, if you want me to not do this, I don't think... I don't think we would have done it if my parents had said, don't do it. Because we, it's their we story also too. are saying that knowing that our parents would have never right. done that. Exactly. Yeah. They my, would have never said, you can't do this. My parents' main thing was, I don't see how you're going to make this funny. So, how is this a comedy? Mm. And I was like, you have to just trust us that we're not, we went through this too. We're not interested in making the, the like, corny mm-hmm. slapstick version of this movie. We want to, we're going to pay it the respect it's owed. And I just kind of had them had to have them trust me, which are, looking back was actually a pretty big deal that they just were okay with that. Mm-hmm. 
and obviously you guys are life partners, but that, and I know this from personal experience, that does not mean creative, but like that does not mean that you necessarily work well creatively together. Is this something that like you guys had? I mean, I know there was a, the, com the stand-up comedy projects and things that you had done, but this concept of writing together and that this was something, is that is that something that comes natural to the two of you? Or is this like the first time that you... It didn't automatically. We were never, uh, like I would write, oh, sorry, Come I would on. write essays for like, I would never have you read the essays or like the book I wrote ahead of time. No, you wouldn't. You didn't want me to read your stuff, but I always wanted you to read my stuff. <laughs> my stand-up and stuff, I always wanted you to read well, it. Well, stand-up's a little different because I'd see it. But you No, but I'd also send you best to read, and you, you never <laughs> wanted me to read your stuff. No, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so... so um, but this was very natural. Working together on this was super... Supernatural? That's not a term people say. Uh, working on this was definitely more... I think we both... We like the way each other wrote. We kind of learned a lot from each other. So it was uh, it was actually a really good experience. I get it right. Is there an idea that you could do another project together? Oh, yeah. Well, we're writing an episode of Amazing Stories. Amazing Stories is coming back, mm -hmm. produced by Mr. Spielberg mm -hmm. and Mr. Brian Fuller with at Apple TV. Yeah, has that been announced? I think so. I don't think it has. Okay, cool. Has it? I think it has. We actually. can. We can. We can. Okay. If you'll check, and if yeah. it's not, anyway, then no. <laughs> so we're writing an episode of that mm -hmm. that I would star in, and then we have another thing that we're sort of working on right now that we're not sure we'll do, but we're in the very early stages of mm -hmm. working on it and figuring out if it's something we we're want to do. We're circling it. <laughs> yeah, we're circling it. <laughs> the um, you know, it's such a compelling real life story, and uh, and the two of you. I mean, I I could see right. Uh, I was at Sundance the. The premiere and you can see right away on stage the two of you are compelling talking about it um, but that idea of this real life story that very rarely is a, a quick transfer into something that's going to work for a script um, and in, in some cases I think the fact that there are real events can be kind of a constriction hindrance, yeah. a, a hindrance right <clears throat> I mean, well I think the advantage we have most real life stuff is biopics and stuff and mm -hmm. people know People have an impression of those people already, right? So if you're like making a movie about a historical Churchill. figure mm -hmm. or a, a, a sports figure or anything, you're sort of negotiating what people already know about that person or know about the events, right? And you're mm -hmm. sort of like ticking a few boxes along the way. The advantage we have is that nobody knows about this. So we really can. We just use the original. There's no like, we owe no fealty to the, like the real events, right? Is that something that you accepted right from the start, or is that something that in the three took, years of process that took you, a little bit? It took, I accepted it maybe a little sooner than Kamel did. Of yeah. like, we're going to have to change things because it, it, in your life, there's so many. You have those flashbulb memories that are so meaningful to you, and so you automatically assume those things that I remember are going to that needs to be in the movie because that was important because I remembered it. But even you used to have a bit about it. Like, just because your brain's holding on to it doesn't mean it's like that it, important. Important, and it's not. And it's not that we we were like, well, that has to be in because, you know, if you're making a movie about Winston Churchill, there are certain things you really have to hit. If you make a movie about Winston Churchill and he's ten years old and it ends when he's twelve, people are going to be like, what? The you, early years. You missed a lot, you know. <laughs> but with us, it wasn't that we were like, we, this has to be part of the story. It was that we thought there were certain things that had really happened that needed to be part of the story. And part of the process was figuring out what did, what needed and what didn't need to be part of the story. But we, at a certain point, were like, let's just make a great movie, movie yeah. and not worry about if it really happened or not. But I think 
naturally we knew what would make sense and what wouldn't because we'd lived through it. We could always do that gut check. So we knew what <laughs> changes would make it feel artificial or mm -hmm. different in a bad way. And what was the first step? Was it just linearly getting through the events of the story mm -hmm. and then and figuring yeah. out what you have? Yeah, yeah we Basically. wrote the first draft was like 160 pages of all the real stuff and not even trying to make it funny, not even trying to make it interesting, not trying to structure it in any way. This is before we did, you know, a beat sheet or, or an outline or anything. That's how just most people work. Kind of, we yeah. just like wrote everything as we had remembered it happening. And that was sort of like the clay. Um, and then the next three years were figuring out what if that belongs. I was just looking at um, some of the old, from 2012, some of the old documents. You were? Oof. Yeah. Well, you know what's weird? There's so many different versions of this movie that have been there for the four years that it led to, the four years leading to shooting the movie. And now there's like one version of the movie in our head. And I want to look back and see all the other versions. It's like kind of jarring. It's like I forgot all the other versions. Yeah. Like that we had like a magical doctor that came in at one point. There was like a heist in the third act. There was no point. magical doctor. Well, not actually magical, but like a doctor who kind of came in and swooped in and saved the day. And then there was a heist. There one. was a heist thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. You wouldn't want to it's see it. It's weird. We <laughs> just landed, I think, on the best version of it. Thank you goodness. have to really, I think we wrote every bad version possible. Mm -hmm. And what was, I mean, you know, you have that vomit draft, you get everything out, you put all these details. What, looking at it, I mean, what was kind of like, in terms of how you were going to structure this, what were the challenges going to be? Like, I mean, you had to, I mean, one thing I'm thinking about right off the bat is that, you know, kind of that end of the first act that um, when you break up, you have to have this moment that naturally feels like a violation to the Emily character that this and I'm not sure that's something that naturally you know life doesn't often come down to like one moment sure. this one feeling of violation that could also be this like severing and to make that work I was you know I watched it again last night because I hadn't seen it in a few months it's like you have to like go once you figure out what that hard break is you got to go back and layer yeah. in all those yeah. elements and I have to imagine like that in terms of that structure, you have to kind of find those moments and figure out what's going to work. And yeah. also layer in those moments of like, well, maybe this relationship isn't so great while still keeping true to the fact that like these people are really into each other and not make it seem like it's not, you want to still root for the couple. Mm. We really, really talked about that a lot because we didn't want it to seem, we wanted it to seem like both of them were right and both of them were wrong. And ultimately, like it just wasn't the time for them to be together. Um, yeah. All in one act. <laughs> yeah, but the layering thing is, is really interesting because I see... The advantage we had is that we had no deadline. We could work on this until Judd was like, okay, now let's make this Judd a movie, was our right? deadline, yeah. We had a Judd line. I see. We had a Judd line, which is no, <laughs> no kind of Judd line, really. But a lot of big movies I watch, like big Hollywood blockbuster movies, and I see clearly you're like, oh, this is an idea that they had later. They went and back then and they, planted? Well, no, they didn't go back and plant it as much as yeah. they needed to. Because what happens a lot is you do the outline and you do everything, but as you're writing it, You'll come up with something in writing a scene that you'll realize like, oh, this is good. Now I got to go back and thread it through the whole thing. And then when you're rewriting it again, you might come up with something and you got to go back and thread that through the whole thing. And I think that's the kind of stuff that's important. Like there shouldn't be anything in a script that really shocks you. I don't mean in the way that I don't want movies to be shocking, but they should all feel part of things in movies can come out of left field in a bad way, you know, in a way that makes the audience not trust the movie. But don't you also feel like if sometimes in like a first act, someone would be like, huh, 
this doctor, I haven't talked to him in years. And then, like, we'll continue on with the rest of the scene. And then, like, we're like, well, I guess that doctor's going to show up in the third act. No, but that's what, that's what I mean is, like, you can... <clears throat> having many passes as, at it allows you to not have those things be that obvious yeah, either. Yeah, you hope so. Because you can also see then that sometimes they get the idea later and then they put it in and it's, like, really, like... Stick, sore thumb, in. yeah. Yeah, it's really heavily laid in. I think that's why rewriting is so important. I think it's, like... You know, I know he wrote Breakfast Club in a weekend, and that movie is perfect. But I think rewriting and discovering the movie in each rewrite is... You just do it a little John Hughes? It's so a little important talk part a little of the John process. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing in rewatching it last night that really hit home for me was... Because I don't know that that's a natural moment that, you know, Emily looks in the cigar box, and this is, like, such a violation mm -hmm. that you feel... And I'm sure that's... And, you know, breakups are never also just one moment unless... Yeah. Well, know. we also yeah, layered in sort of these arguments before that don't quite get to the point. And point. don't get resolved either. Yeah. But it felt to me like one of the things that was so important was uh, in that first act, like uh, those moments that are a confessional from, you know, these like things from, from Emily's past. I, I apologize. I, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's real and what's not. But that there's 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 some things from the characters' past that are so um, that are like kind of big reveals. In the Intimate, yeah. Rich. And, and so that therefore, in that moment of sharing, the fact that he like that doesn't work if you don't have those type of things. Yeah, exactly. And like that backstory. And then also, I was even thinking about the way that. Um, you know, your family's introduced, which is a whole different set of comedy. There's like a different way of mm -hmm. like how you could do that. Like you have to clearly establish that this is a conflict. Right. But it can't feel overbearing. Exactly. And there's, a, there's a sense of, hu you have to have like the, the tone of the humor of that dinner table scene is something that I imagine, I mean, I don't know if that's what the Nagiani household is like, but I mean, there's this thing where it's like just that tone is a little bit different. You got to figure out yeah. those things. Yeah. Right? And I'll say that dinner scene was one of the scenes that was the least rewritten. Yeah. Like the first draft of that scene stayed fairly close to, that was one of those scenes that kind of stayed, like we sharpened it and stuff, but it kind of stayed because what we, we noticed in good comedies is that the conflict is set up in funny ways with jokes. Because like Emily said, sometimes you could be like, oh, this doctor card, whatever. It could just seem like, oh, and now they're hitting this narrative point. Now they're hitting this narrative point. But with the comedy, the advantage is if you can introduce, introduce it all in a funny way, that can feel a lot more natural and not as obvious. We also wanted it to seem like Kumail's family, we didn't want them to seem like people he was okay losing. We wanted to be like, if he, if he lost his family, it would be a big deal to him because they're warm and fun and he has a good time with them. So if we just made them just kind of a source of conflict, then it's like, well, yeah, maybe they should be out of his life. No, they shouldn't be out of his life. That's his family and he loves them. Yeah. Um, and your dad really does love designer jeans like a lot. That is completely That's true right. in life. That's so that right. was in like the first draft on that dad loving those jeans. But even the comedy part, like it's so important, like the, the, the one where uh, you critique your mom about her setup skills yeah. like this yeah. little thing. it's like that was like because that's the thing where it's like if you don't have that connection if there's not that that i mean it could be even just getting that tone right and getting those characters right it's like because that whole second act could be a disaster if mm -hmm. if imagine that that's like a big thing here because there are these different 
There's also the meet cute part. There's like different comedy movies in here yeah. to say nothing of like, you know, the dark place the story goes. Yeah. Like, it also shows that like that the subject is not untouchable. The subject of like arranged marriage is not like a thing that no one talks about in their family. It's like a subject that's been spoken about enough that they can joke about it. Oh uh, yeah, that's which is important. Yeah. A joking relationship about it. Honestly that scene while we were shooting, we were way behind on that day and uh we didn't have time to get that. And and we were like, we have to get this scene, you know? I won't name names, but certain people were like, we don't need this not scene. Me. It wasn't Emily. No. And and I was like, no, no, no. We may not use it, but it could be that this scene is vitally important. So we got it. We did two takes. We got it in like 40 minutes or whatever. And it was so, so useful mm-hmm. having that. You need to see that these people have like a sense of humor about all this stuff. You mm-hmm. know, that it's all serious stuff, but as Emily said, it's not like untouchable stuff. What about... That kind of 10 minutes before we, you know, we have, uh, you know, there's this wonderful, the kind of Holly Hunter introduction, but like the 10 minutes preceding that, we've got the, we've got the breakup mm-hmm. and then we've got the hospital mm. and it is about 10 minutes of screen time and it, it's a turn. It, I mean, obviously that's the story and that's where it's going, but what about that element of how you were going to balance those things and how you were going to set that up? I have to imagine that's like something that's, I don't know if you're looking at other films of how they balance it or what well, they we, do. We, t- Mike Showalter, we talked a lot about how when you when Camille goes to the hospital, we want it to seem like it's almost like um, keep thinking. He's wizard, going through a portal into another like realm. Wizard of Oz when it turns into color, or uh, Willy Wonka where they walk into the chocolate room, except the opposite. Uh, like the idea of like this is going to be another world, so it's another part of the movie, and that it will it needs to change. We need to spend time so that the audience doesn't feel jarred that we need to spend time getting to that other world and letting the audience kind of catch up. So it was something we talked about a lot. Yeah, and what Mike was really good at in the direction was leading people between uh, the moving moving uh, people between these sort of shifts in the story. So if you watch, whenever there's like... So in the beginning, you know, that's me and Emily, then there's a breakup, and then there's a little bit of a shift to the hospital, and then it's me and the parents, and then there's, there's all that. Then there's a little bit of a movement again when me and the parents go to Emily's apartment. That's another section of the movie. So there's all these different sections of the movie, and Mike was really good at uh, bridging between them and guiding people through them so that these gear shifts weren't obvious or, or jarring. Mm-hmm. That, um, and if you see, those movements generally happen in very silent and quiet ways. So, what, through visual. Yeah, through visual ways. So uh, the movement between me and her parents sort of not getting along to her to go into the apartment, it's a quiet car drive and me bringing the, the bags up the stairs and then me walking into the hospital the before that, which is the, which is the previous movement, it's, it's kind of quiet. I come in and you see all this stuff and it's me walking down trying to find Emily. So, so he was really good about leading people between these sort of little segments of the story. And I also have to mention that there's another aspect of this, which is, you know, the Emily character is in, you know, the hospital for the whole long second act. Yeah. And there's like a thing where it's like, I'm sure that was in real life something that feels moment to moment so um, intense and so dramatic. But like, you can't sustain a movie w- no. with that. Mm-hmm. And, and it, there's this element of like, how are you going to do that? Like, you have to like create. Yeah. What, I, what I noticed was that there was little sequences. Like, here's a little. Camille breaks the 
the ice with Holly Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the, and one of the most brilliant ones that I thought really worked well for the movie was this element of um, the cross-cutting between your parents being stood up. Yeah. And the awkwardness of your stand-up. Yeah. And that's something where it's like, that's, I'm sure that didn't happen in real life, but I mean, like, finding those ways, I would imagine that had to have been in the three years like you were talking about Mike finding a way to be able to transition, but I have to imagine how to sustain, because second acts are hard to sustain in general. Yeah. <laughs> but mean, like when, you know, it's a love story and, you know, she's in a coma for, spoiler, at this point it's been out for a while, but, <laughs> but, I, mean, but I mean like for like, I don't know, is it 45 minutes? I mean, yeah. it's like, that's I mean, gotta be, that, that's gotta be hard. Yeah, we talked about that endlessly. Well, that segment of the movie of them coming to the comic club and the awkwardness of that, that was actually written fairly late in the process mm-hmm. so we would say that that was probably written a month or two before we started shooting because it was like and you know the, as the movie comes into focus there are certain things that you're like how is this not part of the movie and then you write it and you're like i feel like this should have always been there if this is a movie about a person trying to keep his world separate his parents from his comedy from his girlfriend then we need to see those worlds start colliding. crashing yeah. into each other mm-hmm. right so that's what that segment is is that Emily's family coming to the comedy club. So that's two worlds colliding and then feeling the absence in the third world where I should be, but I'm not there. So you're sort of seeing really for the first time in the movie how these three worlds kind of interact with each other and how they, when they collide, how they complicate each other and how when he's not there to juggle one of them, how that gets complicated too. So that once we wrote that little section, it just felt so vital and so yeah. important. And it wasn't there until a couple months before It's shooting. also that he's now making a choice to, he chooses Emily over his family uh, for kind of- After the, the comedy se- yeah. section. Yeah. Well, even not going to his family's house that night at the comedies, like he well, didn't he, go that night. Yeah, he doesn't go, but I think he doesn't go because he kind of gets trapped yeah. by his lies. But, but and that, that's the thing, it's yeah. like starting to pile up in other yeah. areas of his life. We also used Emily in, there's, he listens to voicemails from Emily. When he's in her room, he kind of has these like really gorgeous flashbacks that Mike Showalter put together of their, the entirety of their time together. And just to kind of keep, to remind you, like she's still here, she's still around. We tried hard not to cut to her in the hospital bed, uh, in the intubated too often because we didn't, it felt like it could be manipulative a little. So we didn't do that as often as we did. It's not even just manipulative. It can be really, it's a harsh visual. It's not good. Yeah. So we, we, we show Emily in that, in her hospital twice, bed right? only twice. Yeah. And that was both times with, and one was, wasn't there. And then we were like, I feel like right here, we need to see her again. We need to see her up and about, which is the flashback. We need to hear her sounding healthy, which was the voicemail. And twice we need to see her in the hospital bed just to like, obviously you never lose the stakes because you're in a hospital, but just because you really need to kind of feel them in that moment. And in reality, Kumail was actually calling and listening to my outgoing message on my voicemail all the time. And we wanted to find a way to kind of we just thought that was so lovely, but it, listening to an outgoing message just kind of wouldn't work. So this was a, a good compromise for us that keeps Emily in your mind. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and that's a good example of using something that happened in real life. Like Emily said, I was calling and listening to Emily's outgoing voicemail over and over and over. I was just doing that. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and, and for a movie, a good adaptation of it was to listen to other voicemails because that gives you an opportunity to have her directly talk to him. And this is also when they were happy. It reminds you of like when they were good together. Yeah, yeah, and gives you variety in the types of messages that there can be. And we really wanted to contrast in that moment how 
um, excited and energetic she sounds with the visual we of her. We had to record so many voicemails. With the visual <laughs> of her in the coma, yeah. <laughs> Not to get too personal, I mean, were you guys actually broken up or were you just having this struggle of these issues? It was the struggle. We were not actually broken up. It was more that up. we were just in a pretty casual relationship that didn't seem to have any way of becoming anything more. But it's that gray area that I imagine you have to kind of get rid of. Yeah. You have to like make it a little bit like this journey coming back. Because you were talking about the voicemails. The thing that I thought was so nice, because you do have that problem of, you know, Zoe's in a coma, is the he comes in and they goes into the apartment. Yeah. And he hides her pot. And yeah. That's and it's like yeah. that's very important because it's like you could actually, it's one thing that because you're balancing all these things, you could actually see it. It gives you something. There's yeah. like you have a tenderness towards her. You yeah. Have a, He's a like thing. sticking up for her in ways yeah. that he didn't do when she was awake. I yeah. Because yeah. there's a little bit of a numbness of in that of that character of just like okay, well, I gonna go back to my ways yeah. of doing this my and, weird like, life, yeah. and, and that's like a really important beat to have in terms of coming back to somehow sustaining this like romantic story I mean we that's wanted, a big yeah go ahead we wanted her apartment to always kind of feel like her heart like you're kind of in like that is a very very sacred space it's a very warm yeah. very warm colors and you know it's the feeling that I had when you went when I went to it into Emily's apartment while she was sick where it's like it's not quite cleaned up because she didn't expect anyone to be here. It kind of feels like a weird violation. It almost feels like it's in stasis, like it's frozen. It's like, I think of those, like, you know, those movies where they're like, go on the ship and everybody's disappeared and it's half-eaten toast or whatever. That feeling, that's why we have the incomplete um, puzzle. jigsaw puzzle, uh, which I'm a very big fan of. Um, but, but that really is the, you know, the, that is the midpoint of the movie is that scene because up until then, Kumail's been doing everything because of guilt or because he feels compelled to. And after that, after hiding the pot and looking at the sweater, he does it because of love. So that's a big shift in the movie, that, that little quiet little 20-second scene. It's also true that when I was out of the hospital and I opened a drawer and found all my like naughty stuff in a drawer and I was so touched and so moved that my friends thought to do that. In reality, I think it was you and one other, a friend of mine that did it in reality, hid all my stuff. It yeah, doesn't matter. But, uh, but I just was very touched by that, that that was done. I thought that was such a lovely thing. It's, um, isn't there like, there's a, it reminds me of, you sort of got the idea from, there's a comic book, I believe it's Green Arrow or something, and there's a story, I forget what it's called, but it's one of the classics where it's sort of like when a person, what, the superheroes have this thing that one of, when one of them dies, the other superheroes have to go and like hide everything about their identity to protect their family. Wasn't there stuff. like a porn clause that guys have? And then there's a porn one later yeah. where they like, go hide the porn. So that's kind of where this, <laughs> it comes from, you know? But also, yeah. But, the, uh, <laughs> but very and real sweet life. and romantic. <laughs> yeah, but you think of it yeah. in real life too because yeah. of that. And I have to imagine that also another key part of this, and I, I know that there's the real life story of like, this is a weird way to meet Emily's parents and like have that, sure. but I mean, that whole creation of those two characters and the casting, because that's, I mean, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano, not partially because of the way you writ, wrote them, but then also bringing them mm -hmm. in, that finds a nice way to thread a new comedy beat in. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And also, um, a couple story beats yes. mm -hmm. that can also sustain this whole, it's not just about her, 
Yeah. I mean, we it's really helpful to bring in new characters yeah. 40 minutes in. We really <laughs> wanted to have every character be someone that there could be a whole movie about. You know, that was something that we talked about very a explicitly. Lot, yeah. So, with her parents, is you could... Gonna, is there going to be a This is 40 with... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we thought about a Khadija <laughs> movie. I'd love to hear a Khadija <laughs> movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't you know, no, 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 no. But with all these characters, we definitely talked about, like, if the movie was from their perspective, mm -hmm. that would be an interesting movie, too. So, you want to sort of go into... It's, it's obviously... For the most part, my perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I'm the point of view of the movie. But you get glimpses into other people's points of views just enough that you could feel like a story about them would be, would be just as interesting, you know? And what about, you know, Judd Apatow has done, and this, is, this, is, this project falls into, it's, it's very unique, it's very original, but it falls into line with a lot of these, um, I'm thinking of Amy Schumer, I'm thinking of Jason Siegel. Um, people that under his mentorship told these very personal stories and became cinematic, you know, they were established personalities, but now suddenly had a cinematic persona, a leading man persona, or a leading <laughs> woman persona. How much, because I, I, I ask this because I'm not familiar with your stand-up. I've become familiar and, you know, I see what's in there, but how much of also is this, you know, this is a vehicle. Like, this is, you, you have oh. to be a wee, and, and like, how much of this in that sense of, is this going to be rooted in, and maybe Emily's maybe the best person to ask this question, of like his stand-up, of what his established, like how, because one of the things that's so fascinating about all these films, is, you know, I knew who Jason Siegel was, but then to see how that character was going exactly. to transition yeah. into it, and Amy Schumer's another one. Yeah. Same with Kristen Wiig, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah oh, absolutely, and, and, um, and Seth, too. But there's that element of, well, I liked this character. I liked this person, but I don't necessarily like Amy Schumer's. I didn't necessarily see yeah. that story or that character coming from that. Yeah, coming from that, and it became this natural extension of her comedy. I have to imagine that's a big part of this too. Is like kind of what is the Camille comedy world well, yeah. and building this versus the, and your comedy is obviously rooted in who you are as a person, but there's a there's a stage, and then there's you at home. Right. I'll, may I'll start, and then you can. Eh? Go ahead. Uh, you, uh, Camille's stand-up when we met and early on was very observational and very kind of uh, cut and dry, like very funny, but observational, not very personal. And I think what's interesting is that from the experience of us going through this, oh, thank you, of us going through this, um, Camille got more personal on stage and started not necessarily talking about this specifically, but just kind of more willing to open, like talk about himself a little more openly and be a more personal in his stand-up. And that's what's interesting about both the character in the movie, you watch him kind of grow up stand-up-wise and person-wise throughout the movie. And so I think that was always something we wanted to play into was like, this is a guy, this is the <laughs> worst guy possible to be stuck with if you're in the hospital. And then we want to watch him understand that like, he's got to grow up a little bit. We want to see that reflected. So I, that's what I always like. I loved your stand-up before, and I, I liked it kind of after. And it was very interesting to watch this transition of you kind of you getting... You loved it before, and you liked it after. Oh, did I really say that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, I think this is interesting because um, we know... I know how I can be funny as a stand-up, right? Yeah, yeah. But how am I funny... Uh, playing a version of myself, like what is that comedic persona, which is something I know that they worked on a lot with Kristen Wiig, because Kristen Wiig had played these sort of... Characters. Yeah, yeah. definitely very character -y characters, and some of them were very like hilarious sketch characters. How do you make a, a grounded person from that, you know? 
And so that was something that we honestly talked about a whole bunch because I'd never done anything like this. I'd never really played someone who was so like myself. I played characters in the sense that, you know, in Portlandia, that's a very specific character. Silicon Valley, that's a very specific character. These are sort of like narrower comedic characters. So how do you take that and, and make someone who feels more like a real person, who has more um, dimensions to them, um, who can, but who can also sustain... Can make those jokes. <laughs> yeah, who can yeah. sustain comedically as a comedic creation too. So that was something we talked about a lot. It was like, how am I funny? And for a lot of it, it was us trying to be like, how am I funny in conversation? What is it about me? What if I'm like hanging out with friends or with Emily, what is it? What do I do that makes people laugh? It's a laugh? weird path to go down, by the way. Yeah, it is a weird path <laughs> to go down. And then, and then just sort of... Um, trying to figure that out because it's not something that we'd ever thought about you know but we knew that because this character is a comedian that we could get away a little bit more with him being able to have like one-liners and stuff you know or i imagine we'll leave it here but i imagine i mean meat cutes are you know we we all have to live through like some very bad ones and this one is great and I feel like that's also a big part of this is like you're also going to be a romantic lead here and the, the banter aspect of it yeah. is what's so good. And I, my guess is there's some of that rooted in, in, you know, what we're seeing right here. But I have to imagine that a big component of this is, and Zoe Kazan is great. Yeah. She's, She's great. great. But I have to also imagine that part of this is who that bantering partner is going to be and how to access that. Because there's other great people that could play that role, but I don't know that there seems to have, I, I guess what I'm getting at is the casting of that role and also that banter and that humor and that, in that I have to imagine that's a, you know, Emily is a perfect fit in real life. I have to imagine there has to be an element in the story too, right? Yeah, well, we needed it to be and we knew this would be funny that he's someone who uh, doesn't engage with himself. So Emily, and this is how Emily is in real life and this is what was great and challenging about being with Emily was that she was very, very smart and would kind of like call you on your bullshit and also has her own issues. You know, Emily also is um, <laughs> you're very protective about yourself yeah. in the way that you don't always reveal yourself, yeah. right? You're, you're, you're in a way I more... I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> See, there Sorry. it is. So we wanted, we knew it was funny if there's someone who doesn't want to engage with himself, suddenly he has a partner who's always like calling him on it, going, you know, so when I write her name in Urdu, she's like, she calls him on it. She goes, uh, this is a move. This is a bullshit move, you know? And so that's really funny. Um, so we knew that that comedic chemistry was going to be really good, but it was also going to speak thematically to my development as a person and also how she is also deciding whether she's going to open herself up or not. And during the course of the first act, she decides that she is going to, and it's not an easy decision for her, but she makes a decision to open herself up, and then it doesn't work because my character doesn't decide to it's open erratic, himself yeah. up. But we knew that that was going to be a funny thing of this person who doesn't kind of, who's like fiercely intelligent. We wanted two really smart people, kind of like fencing. Yeah. It's also true that uh, we were told, again, not to name names, uh, I feel like female characters are either very funny or very serious in movies, and they don't ever get to be... They're either kind of dummies who are funny or they're... Yeah, like in a goofy way. Yeah. Like not, a, a, not in a trying here's to be what, funny here's way. Here's what they do. Women, are either you get to fall down, and that's so funny. Or you, you get to down, wear glasses. You drop stuff, or you wear glasses. 
Uh, and we were very adamant that this this girl wasn't like constantly like, oh my God, you're so funny, Kamel. But she also was funny too. And it wasn't a big deal to her to be funny, but that it wasn't her defining characteristic either. And Zoe just did a great job of, I think her audition was the breakup scene and, and the bantering, like them kind of flirtatiously bantering. So we wanted to see that she had both those sides to her. I think she did such an amazing job. And we could have gotten other people, but it would not have been the same. Yeah, Zoe had that like intelligence, but also the emotional intelligence. I apologize for not knowing this. We can cut this out. Is there a date for this to hit Amazon Prime or? It, or it just came out last week. Uh, okay. Right, but the day before okay. Thanksgiving. Then I'll cut that yeah. Okay, so uh, Big Sick is on Amazon Prime now. Emily and Camille, thank you so much for, for making the time. Oh, thank, thank you. you for talking to us. Yeah.